Welcome to the Divine Purpose Podcast, where we transport you along one of the more dynamic journeys of life. Have you ever been curious to know what it takes to become a successful leader? Or about knowing the secrets of life through the Bible? How about engaging in conversation where no topics are off limits? We will take you to new levels with guests who can help you grasp the importance of your calling. Now, here's your host, Eddie Dacius, founder of Dacius Facilities Management. Hey everybody, this is Eddie Dacius. We have a great show for you today. This episode is brought to you by Dacius Facilities Management. Dacius Facility Management will manage your facilities with a variety of services. Call them now at 617-237-0106 or go online at daciusfm.com. We have a wonderful guest. Her name is Corey Lucille. Corey Lucille, she's a producer from Corey Lucille Production. Hey, Corey Lucille, how are you? Hi, Eddie. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being with us today. How was everything? Absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful. How have you been? I'm um, pretty good. Pretty good. We are very. I'm very excited because this is the first time we have a producer as a guest, and I think we're gonna have a great, great, great conversation. And this is our seventh episode. And wow. you can check us online at DP Podcast Live or dppodcast.com. Um, Corey, what can you tell us about you? Oh my goodness, where do I even start? Hi everyone. Um, my name is Corey Lucy Simeon O'Hiri. I am actually originally from Boston, Massachusetts, born and raised. Um, my mother's Nigerian, my dad is Haitian, born in Boston. I moved out to DC a couple of years ago to kind of pursue my career. Um, my background is in events, hospitality, rentals, production, kind of everything in the hospitality world. And so I've just been pursuing that on a larger scale now on my own. I've been working with a lot of companies before, worked at venues before. And once COVID came, you know, a lot of things shifted in our world. And so I went and started doing my own thing, you know, started networking and connecting with the people that I know to kind of help them uh, on different projects. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So you, you mentioned, I, I think everybody was affected with COVID. Or was it with you? Can you go deeper on that? Yeah. So I was working at this amazing, huge venue in D.C. where we did events, concerts, weddings, galas, fundraisers, everything. So it's a venue. And as you know, they shut down all of the venues. Yeah. And right before that, I was thinking about opening up my own space. So I was, I was already in a space of, you know, trying to branch out and do my own thing. And so last year, last March, mid-March, you know, it was kind of like, all right, uh, just keep answering emails, keep answering phone calls. We'll see you, you know, in a couple of weeks. And then, you know, it's been a year. Wow. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. it, it, was, it was crazy, but it, it made sense. And everyone in my industry, in the events industry, we were kind of, you know, at a loss. But luckily, things are starting to pick up now, really. And so we're, we're, we're hopeful now. We're hopeful that things are coming back because a lot of people, as you know, are itching to be outside. They're itching yep. to be mingling again. And so we're hoping that this 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 is a major turnaround for us. So you said parents, Nigerian and Haitian, 
yes. Can you can you talk about that a little bit, please? Yeah, it was it was it's amazing. It was and is amazing. You know, my parents come from two different countries, and I remember growing up. As I was growing up, they were still finding things that were similar, you know, how they grew up. Yeah. And so I grew up in a household where I was listening to Haitian Creole, listening to Igbo, listening to all of these different languages, trying all these different foods. And I got into what I'm into now because I was always surrounded by people and food and laughter and gathering. There was always a birthday or just getting together every Sunday. And so growing up in that space was always wonderful for me. Um, always surrounded by music. And my mother was in the industry. She was in a rental industry, and so that's how I got into this. And that's how I realized, oh my God, I really love being around a lot of people. I really love, you know, people being happy and joyful and celebrating and eating, especially eating. Um, And so, (laughs) you know, that's how it was growing up. And it was was amazing. It was was amazing, you know, as a first generation person to, to get all of it, the best of both worlds, I think, you know, so it was great. So did you have a chance to go to either Haiti or Nigeria? Yeah, I I went when I was a baby. I don't remember that much, unfortunately. Um, But I'm I'm planning to go back, you know, once everything kind of opens up for sure. Where, Haiti or Nigeria? Both. Wow. Both. (laughs) So what's your first choice then? (laughs) Um, I think my first... Ooh, that's a good question. Ooh, I don't think I have a preference. I think... Maybe Haiti. A lot of my friends are Haitian and we want to do like a group trip down there. Yeah. And I think we'll have a really good time. No, I think you will have a good time. But at this yeah. moment, uh, as you probably know, the, the situation is not that great either. But yeah. um, but the food, the beaches, yeah, the people, they are good. Yeah. They are good. Beautiful. So let, let's go back on your um, education. So you said you're from Boston. Mm-hmm. Can you take us there, your trip to where where you where you are now? Yeah. Um, so for education um, in Boston, I I'm gonna start in high school. I went to BLA, you know, okay. in um, in um, in Boston, um, and then from there I went to UMass Amherst, oh. which is Western Massachusetts, yeah. and I got my degree in communications with a minor in classics. And so there, I was also in a sorority, so I did events there as well, always surrounded by people. And then um, after I graduated school, I ended up getting an, a major, wonderful internship at one of the top event full planning agencies in Massachusetts. Okay. And so I interned there for the summer. And then from there, I transitioned into the catering world. And that's when I learned so much because caterers have the opportunity to do everything. They do the food, they do the rentals, they do the planning, they do the design. So there's where I got a lot of my background and a lot of information. I was able to to meet a lot of people who I just grabbed all of the things I liked from them and kind of, you know, turn it into my own thing. So um, from school, I was able to kind of branch out and learn how to be more open, um, learn how to connect with people. And so that's why I was able to, after that, you know, find my way, you know, to the positions and jobs that I, that I thought would, you know, help me get to where I wanted to be. But um, going, like, I know, and I'm, I'm glad you share this with us, but one thing we like to do with uh, our podcast is to go deeper because we want people to understand what it takes to get where you are 
it doesn't matter. Everybody will have failure or encounter yes. something. So can you share with us a couple of things you, you pick up along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me in Boston, you know, <laughs> being, for, being from Boston, Whenever I tell someone I'm from Boston, they're like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know there were Black people in Boston. I didn't know there was Black people in Boston. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we're there, we exist. And so in the jobs I was in, I was always only the Black girl there. Every every job I had, I was always the Black girl. Um, and so I didn't see a lot of people who looked like me yeah. doing the things that I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to produce major events, travel the world, but no one that I wanted to network with looked like me. Yes. And so it was a lot of learning, oh my goodness, a lot of learning about who I am and how I fit in, but how I don't want to fit in. Okay. You know, I have a, a mohawk, you know, and yeah. so <laughs> I, I look different. Yeah. And you know, in the hospitality industry, they're clean cut, you know, always da da da. And I knew that, I knew that for me, I need to live how I look. Okay. I didn't want to, I didn't want to conform, you know. I luckily, even though my parents are Haitian and Nigerian, probably some of the strictest oh, um, parental you can have, they allowed me to be who I wanted to be always. They always let me be who I wanted to be. And so because of that, I made sure whenever I would go into interviews, I would look like this, you know? I try to make sure that how I spoke and not how I spoke, but what I said, they knew that I knew what I was talking about. Okay. And that's why I was able to get hired for certain positions, but it, it, it was tough. It, to this day, I'm still looking for a mentor, okay. kind of in a way. I'm still chugging along on my own. I'm still reading on my own, researching on my own, trying to just figure it out all on my own because there's not a lot of people, unfortunately, who are willing to put their hand out to help you. You know, you have to, if you want something, you really have to, you have to fight for it. You have to go for it. You have to not limit yourself, you know? Um, no, no, what you said makes a lot of sense and I can relate to that. But can you explain how difficult it is to not have a mentor and then trying to do the right thing? Yeah. <laughs> I think at least once a week, I'm like, oh, man, I just wish I could call somebody to tell me what to do. Yeah. I wish I could just call somebody and I could tell them what's going on. I have this and this happening. I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And it there's there are a lot of ups and there are a lot of downs. Yes. And it wasn't until recently, as I kept, I, you know, I read a lot and I hear a lot of things and, you know, people are always like, what's your vision? What's your vision? What's your vision? I never, I was just like, I don't know. I want to live well and take care of my family and generational wealth, you know, all, you know, all common things. And I had to really sit down. I had to sit down and really ask myself what it is that I want in my life and kind of plan it that way on my own. And I had to get out of my comfort zone of being kind of, even though I'm in the events industry, I'm still kind of sheltered. I'm still to myself, um, but I had to learn how to network. Okay. Can you I had up? to, yeah, I no. had to. No, no, go ahead. Okay. I'm sorry to keep cutting you off. It's just what I'm trying to say is, and what you're saying make, make a lot of sense, but can you get more detail on that? What you're saying? Because I think a lot of people will understand where 
how to start networking, how to look yeah. and then get out. Yeah. Zone. Yeah. You have to have a conversation with yourself. I've had to have so many conversations with myself, crying, <laughs> wanting to give up. Yeah. Um, I feel but that. understanding that I wanted more. Like I was more uncomfortable with where I was than where I wanted to go. I was more uncomfortable being unhappy and I had to push myself to reach out to people. So what I started doing was the simplest thing. I would write out the messages I would send to people on Instagram or email. Like I would write out drafts so that it would be easier for me. And I had to give myself goals. I was like, Corey, if you just reach out to one person this week, one new person this week, just reach out to one new person every week, you'll be fine. And then once I started doing that is when I finally started to, to create a flow for myself. But it was really hard to even get there. It was hard for me to even find that solution for myself. Okay. I, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, because I wanted to do so much so fast. I wanted to do everything. And I realized that that wasn't me. I had to start off something with something small. And it was literally, I was just like, this is what I would write as, a, as an Instagram message to someone. This is what I would write as an email and then just have it as a draft and then send it out, you know? And it was just those little things. Cause I, that was my uncomfortability was reaching out to people, like networking like that. I'm like, they don't know me. Yeah. They don't know who I am. You know, there's someone here. They don't know me, but I knew that if I was able to push myself on my own and you know reach out to these people it's a step closer than where I was not doing it um can you take take me to or take us to your first big event <laughs> oh personally or through all the jobs I've had oh I have a good one this one was a couple of years ago when I was in Massachusetts we did a wedding like we did a wedding for one of the president's daughter in New York. Okay. And this wedding was amazing. It was like a week long of turning over buildings, building buildings, taking, you know, donating buildings. Um, every piece of detail was amazing. There were, you know, yacht parties, lunches, brunches, dinners. And it was amazing to see, you know, every single part of these events. And I think that's when I felt I completely fell in love with the industry. I was just like, oh my goodness, to be able to have this empty building or this empty home and completely transform it for the entire week. Yep. Uh, it, it was absolutely breathtaking. You know, we were on the water one day, we were in a, in a, in a, in a mansion another day. Um, we were in a barnyard another day. We built tents outside, you know, building floors, building ceilings. It was, it was absolutely amazing. And I, that was where I was like, this is where I need to be. You know, I, this is where I need to be. So um, how was your, your um, conf um, confidence level? Was it high um, or you was, was it low? Like, can you take us there? Like, try to get. Yeah, yeah. You know, as an event planner, prior to the events is when you're the most stressed out. You're the most stressed out. But I really believe in team. I I really really believe in team, and I've always believed in teamwork for the longest time. Um, I love delegating. I love hiring people who are good at what they do. Mm. and letting them do that. Um, growing up, first generation, I had to be organized. I had to be organized from the beginning. And so 
with that background, you know, being organized matters to me. And so while day of, I'm not as, I'm not nervous day of. I'm not nervous because there's so much planning happening prior to the events that you actually don't have space to be nervous. You have to be the most confident person in the space. You know, your client is looking towards you. Your client is going to be worried or stressed out or complaining the entire time. And you have to, you have to be the calm one. You have to know that everything's going to be fine. You have to answer everything. So there's actually no space for you to be nervous the day of the event. There's no space. It's afterwards, after all of the fires happen is when you're finally like, wow, you guys, <laughs> we, we, we dodged the bullet today. Yep. Um, but while you're in it, you know, there's no space for that. That's part of your job. It's part of your job is not to, you know, be nervous the day of. So um, any advice for people in your industry who like to, I know there's a lot of um, wedding planners, Anything you can share with them so they can get better, um, get better at what they do? Yeah. Um, communication matters with your client. Um, and again, is relying on your team. Relying on your team. You know, I, I know a lot of people who try to do everything on their own, but there are so many components and all of my industry people know what I'm saying. There's so many components to an event. There's catering, there's rentals, there's valet, there's music, there's de decor. There's so many pieces. There's lighting, you know, there's AV, there's sound. There's, there's so many pieces. And for me, like I said, I enjoy working with people who know what they're doing because I can trust them. They know how I like to work. They know the look that I'm going for. We have meetings, we check in, we do walkthroughs. So trusting your team, to do what they're supposed to do is by far one of the best things you can actually do as, as a planner. Um, and in communicating, communicating with your client, because um, your clients will call you all the time. They'll call you day and night. They're always checking and changing and checking and changing. And you gotta be um, strong yep. in your decisions with your client. You know, they're gonna want the moon and the stars. And it's up to you to make sure that you are able to provide a service for them, um, realistic expectations, and then day of going above and beyond. You know, that's that's what we really do is we set the expectation for them, but then, you know, the day of, you know, they're just like, oh my God, I can't believe this, this all happens. Um, so those are the things, it's, you know, being realistic with your client and working really well with an amazing team. So can you can you, can you you explain to, to us What's the process to hire the best uh, professional and to be on your team? So how do you go about that? Yeah, a lot of it, luckily, in D.C. In D.C. and in Massachusetts as well, working in Massachusetts, um, there are certain people. It's a small group of events, you know. There's always... There's always like the top three AV people, the top three lighting people, the top catering people. And you get to work with all these people from different events because sometimes the client chooses their own vendors. Okay. And so you get to pick and choose based on your client who you want to work with. And you're able to build, the hospitality industry is amazing because we actually build relationships outside of our clientele. You know, we get together, we have our own events, you know, we do tastings, we do walkthroughs, we do a lot of community community building yep. where we're able to kind of play off of each other. 
So you build relationships with people. There are people that I call for all the time. I'm like, hey, you are my lighting team. You're my AV team. You're my catering team because you build these relationships working with them for so long. And um, and some people, you know, they're they're better at this. Some people might be better at serving a, a full sit down dinner, you know, with full butler service. And some people are better at serving buffet and cocktails. And so you know your go-to team because you are able to you're you spend time building relationships with them. And so you're able to call them, um, tell them the event that's going on. What can you, what can you do? What do we have? Let's do what we did here. Let's change it up here. And so it's fun. It's you're planning. You're planning a celebration. You're planning something that's fun. So that's what it you know boils down to. That's what it end up ends up becoming. And so you're always able to create really good teams. And so you have a list of people that you can call um, because we're all trying to be as good at, you know, really good at our jobs. And so I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by a lot of really great, talented people who, who care. You know, I love, I, I have to work with people who care. I have to work with people who care. And, you and you know, throughout the years, you wheedle people out, you know, or they wheedle themselves out. Um, people who care. Yeah, your father is Haitian, right? So can you talk to me mm-hmm. about him a little bit and we'll talk about your mother too? Yeah, sure. So my dad... Um, the reason I ask is because Haitian fathers, they are tough. So <laughs> I want to I wanna know if it's the same for you and especially with your daughters. Yeah. Um, my dad growing up when I was younger, was an amazing father. Um, I learned how to, I learned how to do everything for my dad, honestly. I learned how to cook, how to drive, how to be confident. I learned a lot, a lot of, um, of my morals come from my father. Okay. A lot of my morals come from my dad. Um, he was a great cook. He was a really good dad. You know, he was a protector. I called him. He would be there. Um, he was awesome. You know, he treated me and my sister like we were boys sometimes. You know, he would always he would play with us. Like, I, all of my fond memories are with my dad. Um, and then, you know, obviously, when you go up, when you start growing up, <laughs> going to high school, he becomes a little yeah. bit more stern, you know? Mm-hmm. He's a little bit more, who are you with? Um <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you're only turning 18, you're not 21, you know, all of those other stuff started coming into play as I got older. Um, but now that I'm older, older, and you know, it, it makes sense. I get it. You know, we were girls and we were young. Um, but when we were younger, he, he was he was awesome. So about your mother? My mom. Oh my gosh, my mom. So my dad really raised me and my sister a lot. My mom was always, always working. And from my mom, she was very, um, she provided. She was a provider for my sister and I. She was the one who, who actually, who taught us confidence, how to walk into a room, um, how to keep your head up, how to have respect for yourself, you know, always being kind to people. Everyone knows my mom as the one who walks into the room with the biggest smile, the one always dancing throughout the night, you know, so she she taught us that part of life, you know, how to enjoy it and how to serve people. Um, and how to be able to take care of yourself and not really depend too much on other people, but being able to to pick yourself up 
and do what you got to do. And so that's what I learned from my mom. Um, and my mom has a really big family. And so there, and so I got to see what it was like to have a big family because my mother and all her cousins live in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And so I got to see how they interacted and how they treat each other like brothers and sisters. So, so for my mom, I learned a lot about like family and connection. And so, yeah, that was wonderful. So what was your transition from Boston to DC? What was it like? Yeah, so you know, I know you said you you're from Boston, but I think you probably an opportunity get you to be to at um, um, in DC. So can you kind of share with us um, the process? Take chances, you guys. Take chances. So this is what happened. I was in Boston working at a company, and over the summer, this was years ago, seven, eight years ago, working at a company, and every summer they would let people off for the summer because it was really, really dead in the summer. And then they'd bring everybody back in, in the fall. Yeah. And around this time, I was, during that year, I was in a space where I wanted change. I just wanted, to, I just wanted change. And so they had let off a few people over the summer and I was just like, this is it, this is it. And I just started applying to jobs in DC because a few years prior I had visited DC. I loved it. I saw a lot of people who looked like me and I was like, this, this is where I need to be actually. I need to be in DC. And so it kind of just all lined up. So they let everybody off for the summer. I only started applying to jobs in, in the DMV area and it happened so fast. I applied. I got an interview, I got hired, and then 30 days later, I moved. That was wow. it. I, I moved. And and I never looked back. <laughs> <laughs> and it was because I wanted the change. It was time for a change. It was itching in me. Like, I just knew I wasn't, not happy, but I just was, I didn't, I don't like to be content. And I okay. felt like I was comfortable. Okay. I felt comfortable. Every day felt the same. And I was just like, there has to be more. Like I knew at my job that I could go so far within a certain amount of time. And I was at a, and I didn't want that. And I knew for a long time that I always wanted to work for myself. I knew that I, with my attitude, <laughs> I always knew I wanted to work for myself. And the minute I found out they were laying people off, I was like, this is it. If I, I got I, I have the summer to move. And I, I moved in 30 days and that was it. And you, you created, Chloe Lucille Productions, right? No. So when I first moved out here, I was working for a company, okay. for a catering company. And then from there, I was working catering for a while. And it wasn't until about two years ago that I actually started Corey Lucy Productions. Mm. So I was working with other companies out here, still gaining knowledge, like still you know, picking brains and trying to educate myself more because where I went to school, I didn't go to school for this. Okay. It was all experience that I was trying to pick. So I was in a rental company and catering company. So every part, a lot of aspects of production and events, I was, I, I, I found a job in that area just so I can learn everything. So, because I knew I wanted to do it on my own one day. So was it purposely that you choose to kind of take that path where everything you didn't know, you go to rental, you go to catering. Was it like Absolutely. the plan you had? Absolutely. Um, my dad always said the one thing people can't take away from you is your education. And I, I, I love absorbing 
I love absorbing. And I knew because I was someone who didn't have a mentor all this time, I, I, it was just up to me. It was up to me to, to figure it out because I knew a while ago that I wanted my own production company. And how was I going to get there? If I don't know, you know, I, had, I was like, I have to know everything. I have to be able to know what things look like. I have to be able to decide on what I want it to be. And so I put myself in those positions where I was in jobs that I can, I can figure it all out. So let's get, let's go deeper on the first day, like when you officially started Chloe Lucy Productions. You, yeah. I, I don't know if you if you were on your own, but the first day you say, okay. You on your own is you, and you're trying to make a, a living now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough. Wow. It was tough. Talk to us. Talk to us. Tell us. Um, you know, when people think of, I don't know, entrepreneurship, they see a certain life, but it, you, I didn't even, I didn't know what that meant. Wow. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't I didn't know. Um, so what I did was I started networking. The people that I worked with, the vendors that I worked with, and anyone that I worked with prior, I reached out. I was just like, I reached out, I was like, hey, I'm doing this. Let me know, let me know, let me know. And luckily, because of the people and the relationships that I built. Wow. They would call me once they found out what I was doing. They would call me like, "Hey, I have this and this going on. Um, you do this, right? Like this is." And I'm like, "Absolutely." And so that's why I say it's so important to have that community, have that network, have it because when you're ready to transition, when whatever you're doing, you know, you can you have someone you can call. So sorry, my dog. No. <laughs> so. What I'm trying to say, you didn't have a template to follow and you had to kind of make it your own in an industry that you don't see people like you and you have to do it on your own. But networking was your way out, right? Yeah, it was my way out. And because I had all those years of putting myself in these jobs and positions and places. I would work part-time at places when I was working full-time. I would always be on the lookout for different opportunities um, that had to do with events or production. I was always on the lookout for those things. And if I had the time, I would, I would sign up and I would do it. And so I was able to gain a lot of knowledge from all of these jobs. So I had an idea of how I could start. Like I created my own templates and different looks. Like I know what I liked and I know what I didn't like. Okay. And that was key. I knew what I did not like. And so, um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> but still I didn't know, you know? I yeah. still, I, you don't know until you implement. You don't know until you put it into action. And so luckily, luckily, um, I had a network and I had gained so many years, so many years of just knowledge and experience that I knew how I wanted my things, you know, how I wanted things to look and how I wanted to approach my clients and what type of clients. And then it took me a while to figure out what type of clients I wanted. Okay. You know, because you're, you're, you know, the clients that you want, not everybody's for you. Yep. 
I heard that before. Not everybody's for you, you know? And I had to decide what kind of clients, where I felt comfortable as well in terms of my clientele. Because I've dealt with so many types of clients, but I had to decide starting off, you know, yep. what I was capable of holding down and what I was capable of, who I was able to actually service. Yep, your target, right? Yeah, my target. And, you know, and I'm still, you're never going to stop learning, you know? Yep. You're never, never, uh, never. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've changed <laughs> my mission or my vision. Um, I don't know how many times. And then finally, after a while, you're going to be constantly switching it up. And I and I want people to know that, that it's you're not going to get it right the first time. You're, this is the first time. Your first is in your end-all, be-all. You know, whatever your mission is, your business plan is, it's gonna you're gonna have to you have to be able to shift. Yeah, you're gonna have to adjust it a little bit. Yes, as you, you have to be. Yeah, um, you so have to be able to do that. My question is now: So, did you study full time, or were you part time? Where you were working somewhere else, and were you full time? Like that's the only job you were doing, or or did you have something else on the side when you started Corey Lucy Production? Yeah, when I started, I was I was full time Corey Lucy Productions. Wow. Um, but I would still take part time gigs if yeah. they were available. Okay. And you know, because I started Corey Lucy Productions right before COVID started. Um, prior to that, I have done smaller stuff when I was in Boston, you know, on the side. But I, if I could, I would have started Corey Lucy Productions while I was still working okay. to fund Corey Lucy Productions. Um, you know, that's one thing I tell a lot of my, you know, I, I also work with a lot of new and upcoming entrepreneurs and kind of help them structure their business and figure out where they should go. And, you know, a lot of these people are working full time and I'm like, you know, your full time is going to fund what you're doing now. You know, your full time is going to fund what you're doing now. It'll, it'll, it'll possibly be clients there as well. You're still networking while you're doing your full time, you know, because when you're starting your business, there's there's so many ups and downs. You're going to have a good week. You're going to have a bad week. You're going to have a good day. You're going to have a bad night. And so um, it was it was it was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. It was tough. Um, but because of how I started it, I didn't have a choice. You know, I didn't have a choice but to do what I was doing. But I'm still, you know, doing part time opportunities because from there, yeah. I'm still meeting new people and I'm wow. still exposing myself to new things to still be able to do other things, so, you know, so I don't put myself in a box. So what was your first event under Koei Lucy Production? So um, under Koei Lucy Productions, not only do I do events, I also produce um, shows um, and creative works. So one of my first productions, actually, I was a project manager for a PBS opportunity. And I got a call and they were looking for uh, a black project manager to be a part of this particular project because of what it entailed and what it was about. Okay. And that was a four month project. We traveled throughout the States, you know, filming people's, it was an educational, you know, production. Okay. And it, it was amazing. And, and um, I got that opportunity through networking. 
I got the opportunity because I was networking all all year and someone saw what I was up to and they reached out to me. We're looking for a black project manager. What's, what's going on? And I'm like, absolutely. What is the project about? And, you know, I'm very specific about the projects that I work on as well. And so it was it, it was it was a, it was an amazing opportunity. And that was the first one. <laughs> one of the biggest ones so far on any Portland Productions. Yeah, so what I was saying is you you are Haitian and Nigerian. And for some reason, and my sisters, they all love the African movies. And now they're on Netflix. But my question is, are Haitian, why are Haitian movies can I get to the Netflix level? As a producer, can you see why or can you share what what need to be done the story has to be juicy mm. the, the reason why we like Nollywood movies and I love I love Nigerian movies they're they're just more dramatic you know Haitian movies they're comedy it's it's comedy um it's more funny okay. um but it's also the production on the production is a little bit isn't as big and dramatic as a few Nollywood, you know, movies. But it's the content too. If they, if their storyline changes a little bit, we will be on Netflix. We will be on Netflix. We will be on Netflix. Um, I, I think there's, there should be more, but at the end of the day, I don't think we have enough exposure for Haitian producers. So, I don't know if you had a chance to, to produce a movie for Haiti, how would you go about it? Um, I would try to find a full Haitian production team. Um, one of the projects that I'm working on now, actually, um, one of the projects I'm working on now, I'm working with the AV production team, a Haitian production team in Massachusetts. Okay. And I'm also helping write a few stories with a Haitian female writer. And so we're looking for each other. Okay. <laughs> the Haitian community, we're looking for each other. We're looking for each other because I think that we understand what it is that we're missing and what it is that we're looking for. And so I know for me, I would look for a full Haitian production team. And then we have to we have to build a story. We're so used to creating stories that our parents watched. And I think <laughs> that if we started producing oh, things that are relatable now, Okay. I think I think we should be perfectly fine, and I'm excited to actually produce something like that really, really soon. Can you talk about your project? Your work, yeah, Siri? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a Haitian creator, actually, mm. um, in in Massachusetts, he wanted to bring black men together to have conversations um, where they can have their own voices be heard, where it's not convoluted um, through mainstream media. So he wanted to create a space where Black men can express themselves. Um, all types of emotions that they go through personally without feeling judged, without feeling um, that they can't. You know, a lot of men don't feel comfortable opening up and sharing. You know, we always hear these things like, um, don't cry, you're a man, you know, things like that, that aren't really conducive uh, to, a, to a person. 
and to a man as well to be able to express themselves. So he reached out to me and we've been working on this project for over almost a year now. And we're actually gonna start recording. We found some men who are amazing, who are actually willing to be filmed and share their personal stories. And it's, and I would have to say, you know, this production has been amazing for me as well as a black woman to, to hear and listen to their stories. We've, I've cried, I, you know, because these are things that they haven't expressed out loud to anybody before. Yeah. And it was amazing for me to see how leveled, how many levels men have that they don't share. And um, so we're filming them in a couple of weeks, actually, and we should be, we'll be editing it and we, and it should be on YouTube by the fall. And we're hoping that, you know, this is a space where people can, can see that there are levels to men and they can do anything from A to Z in terms of expressing themselves. And so I'm excited about this project. Um, it's been wonderful for me. I know that for sure. It's helped me communicate with men differently, um, helps me, you know, just take them in a little bit differently. So it's, it's been, it's been wonderful. So what's your understanding now? So all, all that change your view of black men now? Yeah. Um, it's funny. We actually had that conversation too about, wow, about the all types of black men, right? There are, there are American black men, there are European black men, there are Haitian black men, Jamaican black men. There are so many African black men. Black men, yeah. Everything, yeah. yeah. And so we've had conversations about that too, about how we all, how they all experience life similarly yet different. Yeah. You know, I remember growing up whenever, when I was young, 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 whenever I would be like, oh, this is my friend. My parents would be like, oh, where are they from? You know, because they perceived African-Americans different from Haitian-Americans or Jamaican-Americans because of how they were probably raised. I don't know. But we've had that conversation as well. Um, but for me, I'm understanding and recognizing a lot of men and women, but we're talking about men right now, grew up in a space where they might not, they weren't able to actually express themselves. Okay. You know, your parents, um, whenever we try to cry or be upset, your parents yep. will immediately shut it down. Yes, yeah, nah, they're not going to take that. Nah, I know mm -hmm. Asian parents and for some reason. Yeah, they don't. There's no communication. There's no what's up. What's going on? Why are you sad? There's none of there's no comforting when you're upset. And so you have to just like be in your room upset or be angry alone. Wow. And it and it stays with you your entire time you're growing up. So when you're building outward relationships with your significant other, you don't know how to communicate because mm. you've never practiced using words. You've never had a space to talk. Uh oh. I and so I'm recognizing that they they didn't have that, and so yeah. now. You know, we have to be more patient and we have to create a space where we're just like, I'm just here to hear you talk. I don't, I'm not here to even respond. Wow. You know, that, I'm just really here to listen and provide a space for you to just express yourself with no judgment. None of that. Wow. That's very, 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 very interesting. And you, you, you speak a lot of truth there and 
and that's that's the reality mostly for haitian um black haitian and i think that's gonna be a nice a very interesting documentary uh i'm, I'm looking forward to it yeah we're yeah yeah wow so anything else you you want to talk about like i know you you mentioned so boston and dc and i think you you work in new york too but which one you think is more mm-hmm. profitable for your business oh my goodness um <laughs> currently dc is my most profitable um, and then I'm putting out into the universe that New York and California will be next. Okay. Um, yeah, that's where I'm, that's where I'm at. You know, I try to speak in action, um, speak it into existence. Okay. And so currently it's DC, but next it will be New York, New York. and California. Wow. No, I, and, and like you said, if you believe it, it will happen you feel different yeah yeah but, uh, absolutely so do you speak so let's go to deep in the culture now uh-uh. so, uh, i like to leave it at the end so where we talk about haitian food i know you like music you like culture you like food and you like to bring people together so let's start yeah. with food what's your favorite dish my favorite dish is rice. Why? Asian rice? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I love rice. Oh, so do you do you have a chance to um you said you said your dad cooked for you when you were little. Mm-hmm. So what was do you ever eat legume? Yes, absolutely. Yes, legume. Yes, yes. And, Wow, that's nice. That's nice. What about Nigerian food? Um, there's there's some Nigerian food I like. Only with my only my mother cooks it. So we have this thing we call um fufu. You know fufu and like um and like a stew. Okay. Yeah, fufu. fufu, It's similar to Haitians like tom tom. Okay, pump. Oh, okay. Yeah, so my mother makes this wonderful fufu and um, stew that I love a lot. Of, and then, but Nigerian food to me is spicy. It's crazy. I know. I don't like spicy. It's weird. Oh. Um, <laughs> but their foods are a little, Nigerian food is a little bit different. <laughs> so what about music? Do you like, do you like compa? I love compa. Yep. Wow. What else? Like... Tell us about I love Kumpa. When I was younger, not yet. When I was not younger, when I was in college, me and my roommate every Sunday, there was this place in Massachusetts called like Guilt Nightclub on Sundays. And we would go every Sunday. We would dance Kumpa, we would dance Pasada. Um, it was wonderful. It was great. Um, so I love, love Kumpa. I love it. all international music. I listen more to international Afrobeats and Caribbean, Soka, Zouk. I listen to that more than I do the radio. So, and grew up in a Haitian and Nigerian. So can you describe your culture? Whew. 
Um, <laughs> wow, I don't think I've ever been asked that. Um, describe my culture. So, my house growing up, I remember there always being music playing all the time because my dad and my mom both really loved music and they really loved dancing. Like I can imagine and seeing my mom and my dad dancing together. Um, they loved music. They loved soca. There was always soca playing in the house. My mom playing her music. And then one day, and then they just, it was always like this huge playlist of every kind of music. And, um, and food too. My dad was always cooking. Um, Growing up, I know a little bit of Haitian Creole. Don't test me, but I know a little bit of Haitian Creole. And I had to, you know, tell my dad, I was like, you have to teach me Haitian Creole because a lot of my friends were Haitian and both of their parents were Haitian. So they spoke Creole fluently and I didn't want to be the one left out, you know, because I because they knew that my dad was Haitian and they would talk it out. They would speak it all the time. I would speak Creole all the time and I'm just sitting there. And but when I was like eight or nine, I was like, Dad, you 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 gotta speak more Creole to me in the house. And so he did. He would speak more Creole to me in the house to the point where we were all out, my mom and we were out with my dad's friends. My mom was like, Oh, Corey, what are they saying? What are they saying? And I can, you know, translate for her. Um, and then when I got into high school, a lot of my friends again were Haitian, and so I learned a lot of Creole <laughs> from them as well. And, and I made sure of it. I was like, don't speak to me in English. Please talk to me in Creole. And so I made it a point to learn Creole. Like that was, I made it a point because I was surrounded by it so much. And I and I just wanted to learn, learn Creole. So I know, some, I know Creole. I can make it, you know, if I had to make it. Um, and I remember also telling my mom. So my mom is um, Igbo. You know, there are different tribes in Nigeria. My mother's Igbo. And so I would tell her as well. I was like, mom, you got to teach me Igbo as well. And she's like, no. I don't want to confuse you. That's too many languages, too many languages. And I'm like, mom, please. Like, so I can like count to 10 in Igbo. I can say, you know, hello, hi, and things like that. Um, but she didn't teach me Igbo. And to this day, she regrets it. She's like, oh my gosh, I should have taught it to you. And I'm like, I know I could have been, you know, tri-qualingual at this point. Um, but she didn't teach me, but um, Haitian Creole, absolutely. Um, food, music, all they mixed everything. Like my dad, and that mom was Nigerian in the house, and you know their own different acts. And I remember going to school, and I would say wow. certain words, and people were like, "What are you saying?" And I'm like, "That's how I hear it at my house. That's that's the word to me." Wow. <laughs> and wow. so I remember having like a little, huh? No, no, I think that's amazing what you're saying, and you're eager to l learn Creole. And most people they don't have that, but I think your influence, your friends, your surrounding kind of kind of get you to really embrace the Creole. But um, that's that's good because a lot of people they stay away from Creole, especially if they born here, they don't really mm -hmm. speak Creole, and they stay away. They they try to say they're not Haitian, but at the end of the day, you cannot escape your your culture. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm super proud of who my parents are and, you know, how they met in the States in their early 20s. Because, you know, my mom, my, my mom and my dad, both born and raised in their respective countries and didn't come out to the States until they were in their mid-20s. And so, you know, my dad learned English in Nigeria. They 
you know, English is one of their prominent languages there. And so for them to like meet here from a, from so far away and how I grew up, you know, I, every time I meet someone, they're like, oh, are you American? And like, I never said like, I'm American. I'm always just like, I'm Haitian Nigerian. I always said that. And so because I was so adamant at always saying that, I wanted to make sure that I, you know, I was engulfed in it because I was engulfed in it at home. And wow. it was important. It was important to me to make sure that I could relate um, to those cultures because, you know, even though you're that's at home, when you go to school, it's completely different. You know, yep. it's home and yep. school are completely different. You can get caught up with being with your friends and yeah. just knowing that. But for me, I was just like, there's so much more than this yeah, you, American culture. <laughs> yeah, it's like you embrace your culture. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So we, we get into the end of our session with you, Sokoe Lucio. We really appreciate you. Last word for you. Um... Thank you for having me on, Eddie. This was wonderful. This was wonderful. Um, I hope people are able to reach out if they have any questions, especially anyone who's trying to start a new business or a new venture or even wants to get into the event world or the production world. I know for me, it was it's, it was hard to find people who look like me. So I hope I look like somebody to somebody and they're, they want to learn more because I, I love you know meeting new people and working with new people. And we need to get in these doors. We need to make our own doors as well. So reach out. Uh, thank you. And thank you for being with us today. And we really appreciate it. So this was a very, very um, energetic um, conversation. I learned a lot about Embrace Your Culture, which you did, because I feel like you had a both world where Nigerian and Haitian, but you kind of mix them together. We we wish you good, good luck on your on your journey and your new series that will be coming out soon. Last word. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Um, I'm excited. I'm going to have to send you a private link to the show once it's up oh, so you can get a preview. No, definitely. That would be great. 